Hello everyone and welcome to another episode of Nerd RX podcast and I'm your host Barkha. And for today we have a topic called immunocytochemistry also known as ICC. And to talk more about ICC we have Dr. Hali Blevins. Uh welcome Hali to the show. Thank you so much for having me. I'm so happy to be here. uh likewise thank you so much for being here with us uh and before we go right on the, into the topic uh we would like to know more about you so why don't you introduce yourself to our listeners yeah so i am halley blevins i uh got my bachelor of science in biochemistry from bridgewater college in 2018 and then straight on from there i went on to get my phd in medicinal chemistry from virginia commonwealth university And I currently work as a postdoctoral fellow at BC Massey Cancer Center. Okay, uh thank you so much for that. And my first question to you would be why ICC and what is ICC? So, ICC, um I actually usually call it just immunofluorescence, but okay. um ICC is kind of like a subcategory of immunofluorescence. um but basically it can be broken down into um kind of three words for icc immuno cyto and chemistry mm-hmm. so um immuno stands for the use of antibodies um in this technique mm-hmm. uh and the cyto part stands for um cells okay so and then the chemistry stands for you know all of the fun things that happen downstream with the chemistry part <laughs> yeah. um but Um this technique uses uh antibodies that are conjugated to fluorophores to detect various components and things inside of cells and uh sometimes tissues using a fluorescent microscope. Mm-hmm. Uh and I really fell in love with this technique because of all of the beautiful images it creates. If you google it online it just pops up with all of these gorgeous images um of cells and tissues and all kinds of things um just glowing these beautiful colors. Mm-hmm. Um so I think I just think it's a really fun fun technique. Mm-hmm. Okay. And why is immunocytochemistry important and why do you like what uh, when would you use immunocytochemistry? So the cool thing about uh immunocytochemistry uh and immunofluorescence in general actually is that you can really use it and manipulate it to do whatever you want and give you the any kind of information you want. So it doesn't really have one set use. Mm-hmm. If that makes sense, um you can really do whatever you want with it. So for one example, um probably one of the most common uses of immunocytochemistry um is say you are looking at a specific cellular event or a mechanism inside of a cell. and say during this event there's a protein that moves from the nucleus to the cytosol mm-hmm. or a cytosolic protein that moves from the cytosol to the cell membrane that can actually be seen with immunofluorescence um and that's one of the that's one of the most common uses of it is just looking at protein or antigen localization inside the cell mm-hmm. okay and would you mind walking us through the steps involved in ICC for example if you are preparing a new experiment how would you start and what 
things do you do and how long generally does uh, ICC experiment takes? So the, um, it can really vary. Mm-hmm. So the steps, I can walk you through the steps first. That, that makes the most sense yeah. to me. So the first thing you want to do is you want to kind of seed your cells. First, immunocytochemistry, you want to seed your cells onto a cover slip. Mm-hmm. Um, and after that, you really want to treat them with every, if you if you are doing any treatments, you want to treat your cells, whether that be with uh, your drug or any kind of stimuli, challenging, something like that. Mm-hmm. Um, to just go through your experiment. The next step is fixation. And fixation, uh, are you familiar with fixation? A bit. I've done histochemistry like a bunch of times. Oh, yeah. Okay, so very similar. Yeah, <laughs> yeah immunohistochemistry is with tissue. Yes. Uh, cytochemistry is with just cells. So yes. basically same technique. Mm-hmm. Um, all under the immunofluorescence umbrella. Yes. But fixation is basically where you freeze your cells in time. Um, you just want to capture them in the current state that they're in because um, you don't want to keep going through this process with live cells while they're still moving and still doing things. You want to look at what's happening in the cell at that very moment. Mm-hmm. So fixation usually involves a uh, low percentage of paraformaldehyde. Mm-hmm. Uh, and paraformaldehyde is a cross-linking reagent. So essentially, it just covalently cross-links proteins together and glues them together so that it freezes everything inside the cell. Um, I think it's the same for uh, tissue yes. as well, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> uh, the next part is permeabilization. And in my opinion, I think this is probably the most important step um, because if you don't do this step, everything downstream is just not going to work. Okay. So permeabilization uh, is where you use uh, detergents. And by detergent, I mean like something similar to your Dawn dish soap. Mm-hmm. Um, so your Dawn dish soap is very structurally, molecularly, very similar to the uh, lipids in your cell membrane. Mm-hmm. So... Um, what happens is when you add these detergents to your cells, these uh, lipid-like molecules interact with your cell membrane and kind of make these holes and pores or areas where in these membranes, um, it, it, dis- it disrupts the membrane uh, integrity is mm-hmm. <laughs> the best way to yep. put it. So, and it allows for large molecules like antibodies to get inside the cell. Okay. Now... If you skip this step, none of your antibodies are going to be able to get inside the cell. So, yeah, it's very, very important. Mm-hmm. Um, and then after that, it's actually just very similar to Western blotting, if you're mm-hmm. familiar with that. Yes. Um, <laughs> so you want to block with a BSA. And then you want to go through your antibody staining uh, with whatever strategy you want. Mm-hmm. Um And then after that, you can use these slides to um, detect the fluorescence with either a confocal laser scanning microscope or a fluorescent microscope, just depending on what you have available. Mm -hmm. Um, But yeah, it's it's pretty straightforward. At least the beginning steps are. Mm -hmm. 
So uh, when you talk about uh, the antibodies, is it similar to Western blot where you have first the primary antibody incubation followed by secondary antibody incubation, right? So you can do it one of two ways. Um, There's direct or indirect. Mm -hmm. So uh, indirect is where you have a a primary and a secondary. And I would say that's the most common. Um, because it is the cheapest. <laughs> um, but you can also do direct uh, direct um, antibodies where it's your primary, your primary antibody is already directly conjugated to a fluorophore. Okay. Um, and I think the advantage of this method is just you're, you're saving time. You don't have to go back and do a secondary, you know? Okay, yeah. Um, but yeah, you can do, you can do both. Uh, together as well so really you have three options um any of those will work okay okay sounds good and how long does it take is it like a experiment that you can do in one day or it has some incubation time Mm. so the staining process like fixing permeabilization in your um antibody staining i would say it takes a day a full day um, and then really depending on the complexity of what you want your images to look like or how many things you're detecting, um, mm-hmm. imaging can take another day as well <laughs> yeah. and how many images you're taking. So I would say from start to finish, maybe two days. Okay. Okay. Yeah. And, um, uh... So like in, you know, you mentioned Western blot and there you can actually visualize a number of proteins in just one gel. Um, So is that the same if I want to uh, see multiple different types of protein? Can I use multiple antibodies in the same uh, cover slip? Yeah, yeah. You can stain for multiple things in the same cover slip. Now the trick to this is that um, you don't want to stain for multiple things with the same fluorophore. Mm-hmm. You have to pick your fluorophores very carefully and make sure that their excitation and emission wavelengths don't overlap. So there is a lot of planning and foresight to these experiments mm-hmm. um, that is required or the experiment is just not going to make sense. Yeah. Um, so that would say that that's really the only trick I um at some point you do run out of four fours. <laughs> yeah. So there is a maximum, um, but you can definitely stay for more than one. Okay. Okay. So uh, out of all these steps, which step according to you and in your experience takes the longest to troubleshoot? Because I'm pretty sure there are a lot of trials and error. Uh, you know, I would say that the staining is all very straightforward. Mm-hmm. Um, I would say the most complex, uh, part of this process is the imaging. <laughs> okay. Uh, like just getting those really beautiful images, uh, learning right. how to operate the software, operate the microscope. Mm-hmm. Um, that I would say takes a large chunk of expertise, mm-hmm. um, in training to figure out. So yeah, I would say the, the imaging portion is where it is. <laughs> okay. And what about the analysis? Like after you have your images, uh, is like uh, when you get the images, you 
is the analysis part easy yeah i would say it's pretty easy um once you i mean while you're imaging you can see your images come to life or mm-hmm. come to fruition so you can kind of sit at the microscope and judge ooh is that a good picture is it not a good picture should i mm-hmm. take another one uh so that's not too much of a problem mm-hmm. um okay. So, but I would say quantification wise, yeah. um, depending on what you're quantifying, that might be a little trickier. So okay. you can um, use the Zeiss. So VCU uses Zeiss. Um, mm-hmm. You can use that software to calculate co-localization um, yeah. with different floor force and things like that. So that takes mm-hmm. a little bit to figure out, but yeah, it really just depends. Um mm-hmm. Yeah, my next question was that like is this technique just qualitative or even quantitative? So you just mentioned about quantifying. So I, you know, so <laughs> I would say that that is one of the disadvantages of this technique okay. um, is that it's not really a super quantitative method. Um just because okay. you can move the cover slip a little bit and you can get a really bad picture or some really bad data. Mm. Um, but the consensus over the entire cover slip is the same as, mm-hmm. you know, your quantitative data, if that makes sense. Yeah. Um, so you are, you do have the ability to take this picture and make it quantitative, but I wouldn't say that that's done often. I would say that most of the time when people do these uh, immunofluorescence, immunocytochemistry, these things, it's more to get a picture and to allow for the visualization of these um, these events that they're looking mm-hmm. at. Okay. Okay. Yeah, that makes sense. So let's talk about alternative techniques. Is there any alternative technique to ICC to get the same data you get through ICC? I would say um, to get to a visual, probably not. Okay. But you can verify, just depending on what you're looking for, you can verify these things in different assays, different settings, um, different types of things. So an example would be, let me think. So in my lab, we were looking for the formation of the inflammasome complex. Mm-hmm. And this is a really massive complex that you can actually, it's a huge protein complex that you can see on, in the microscope inside the cell, it's that large. Wow. So um, another way we could verify that is by doing a cross-linking reaction inside of the cell or some cell lysate mm-hmm. and run that on a non-denaturing Western blot and literally see those complexes um, forming on the Western blot. So that okay. is another way to do it. Mm-hmm. Um and we can also measure things downstream, like the release of cytokines, things like that. Mm-hmm. So I would say there's ways to val- validate what you're seeing in the picture. <laughs> but I don't, I don't know that there's another way to visually, visually. Um, okay. replace that image. Okay. Okay. Yeah. Okay. Um, so uh, just while you were talking, I was thinking about this. So can you use... Any types of cells, like can you use cell lines versus uh, cells derived from, for example, brain homogenates, or is there any limitation to that? Um, you can definitely use cell lines. That's what I use. Mm-hmm. And you should be able to also use primary cell lines. That makes it more, like, think more uh, 
applicable to other things as well. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. Okay. So would you describe this technique as being user-friendly or someone who has absolutely no experience with ICC can learn it pretty quickly or is there a huge learning curve? Mm, I think that the staining part is super user-friendly. Okay. Um, I think that if you have any experience in the lab, you should be able to do that just fine. Mm-hmm. Um, and there are so many protocols for it um, and protocols for different antibodies as well. So that's super user-friendly. Um, it really comes down to the microscope yeah. um, training. Uh, that was where the learning curve is, I think. Mm-hmm. Um, Cause so for confocal microscopes, um, this is not just your regular in the lab microscope. Yeah. This is a close to million dollar microscope. Mm-hmm. So this um, usually these large research institutions only have a handful. Yeah. Um, and you have to reserve them and pay for it. And so yes. uh, that does, I say, come down to, I would say that the imaging and the confocal microscope um, process is not so user-friendly. You definitely mm-hmm. need to have a little training. Mm-hmm. But uh, you can also use a fluorescent microscope, which is your average in the lab microscope. Yeah. Um, the quality is not as great, but it's <laughs> it is it is doable. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. When I was doing uh, immunohistochemistry, I first thing before even starting the experiment, I would look if the confocal is available because it was <laughs> it used to be booked like for months at end. Oh, and months? Yes. Like we just have one in my department. So oh, it was, yeah. and I think a lot of time there are grad students who are like trying to finish up their dissertation so they're taking like bunch of images so that would be like super annoying but <laughs> yeah one yeah that that's rough <laughs> yeah I, I could see how one would get booked up for months yes. that's crazy <laughs> okay so that is great that it's user-friendly uh, experiment wise um so what are the advantages and disadvantages i know you mentioned one of the disadvantages was are there any more you know, I I don't think that there's a whole lot of disadvantages. I think the biggest disadvantage is that you can't quantify it. Yeah. Uh, or you can, but like, it's just not as well, ex- I, I, I wouldn't yeah. say accepted, but it's just not super common. Mm-hmm. People really like to use immunocytochemistry and immunofluorescence and these things to put a pretty picture in their paper Good. and to, <laughs> to, help people visualize and see with their eyes what is happening in the cell and what they're trying to accomplish in the paper. Mm -hmm. Um, And I think that that is the advantage is that, you know, um, there's no better proof than literally looking at a cell and seeing it happen. (laughs) Mm -hmm. Right. Yeah. Okay. So for example, like you mentioned, uh, publish uh, publication. So when you add data from immunocytochemistry, um, and like you mentioned, it's not so accepted. Do you have to do like a follow-up proof of concept, like confirmation tests to support your ICC? I think that that, I don't know. I'm sure it's different for each journal on yes. whether or not, what it, what is required, just depending on the statements and the conclusions that you're making from those images. Yeah. Um, I would say the thing that people 
are not so aware of when it comes to publication for data from immunofluorescence uh, is that you have to, all, some journals require that you submit the, not necessarily raw data, but the data behind the image. So it includes okay. like the, all of the settings that you use to acquire each image. Wow. Um, and if you're using multiple images from multiple different slides or conditions, mm-hmm. then your settings have to be the same. Okay. Um, or else you can't compare them. Yeah. And some journals might not take that image. So that's really important um, <laughs> when you're when you're looking to publish an image is making sure that everything is sound and that the conclusions you're making from that image is sound mm-hmm. as well. Okay. Yeah, that makes sense. And so what would be the cost associated with ICC? I mean, my lab definitely does IHC, so I get an idea. But if there is a lab that has absolutely no setup for ICC, can they easily set it up or it's a huge investment? Uh, I think if you're doing cell culture, yeah, um, then you are well equipped to do ICC. Okay. Um, yeah, I think if you can culture cells, you all you really need to do is buy some antibodies and the proper materials, and mm-hmm. then your your lab is already set up to do it. Mm-hmm. Now, before you do it, you do may, need to make sure that you are within some kind of distance of a microscope that you can use. Um, but yeah, I think that if you if you're doing cell culture, then you should be able to implement that the immunocytochemistry pretty quickly in your lab. Okay. Okay. Yeah, that's nice. Uh, So just um, in your experience, has it ever happened that you were following a protocol and you had this antibody and it somehow didn't work? (laughs) There was one time (laughs) where we were trying to look at um, the localization of our protein. Mm -hmm. Uh, and we were trying to look at the localization of our drug mm-hmm. and trying to see if they overlap. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and what we didn't realize at the time, this is like when we first started, was that the fluorophores overlapped, their excitations overlapped so slightly and so small that it was like when we went to analyze the data, it had like 100% co localization. <laughs> oh, wow. So, which was. We we were, yeah, it was very clear that it was just, that was not going to work out. So we had to change up our floor for us. But I would say that that's, um, that was one time that we were, okay. that was a mistake. <laughs> yeah, for me, um, right now, I'm having that issue with my Western blots. And, you know, when I buy an antibody and like, the web page, the company advertises it. Oh my God, so beautiful bands. And I get excited. I buy it and it somehow doesn't work. So it's always, you know, buying so many antibodies. And like, luckily I found a few antibodies through my podcast hosts, which (laughs) has worked for them. They suggested to me, I bought them and it works great. So, you know, I'm like so it's a great opportunity to talk to people and see what they are using. Yeah, I the antibody search really for any experiment is such a battle. Mm-hmm. Finding the perfect one 
Oh. It really is such a battle. I have a whole spreadsheet on my laptop of the antibodies, but not only just of what antibodies we have in stock, but I have like a little notepad next to each one and rating them in five stars. Yeah. Oh, that's a cool idea. I should do that. How much I like them and what, yep. how, what different personalities they have. Like what, you know, oh my gosh, they, they, yeah. Yeah, I I should definitely do that. Yeah, I have like a big box in my freezer of so many different antibodies and they're not cheap. No, they're not. (laughs) It's like super, like there is, I think that is one part where we spend the most money buying antibodies. Yeah, you know, I really wish that some companies would give out trials, you know, like just send you 10, just give me 10 microliters. Let me give it a try. And if I don't like it, then I won't buy it. But I think that that is their, their thought, you know? (laughs) No, but you know, just getting off topic, but I have actually emailed companies and asked for a trial sample. And so far they have been really good giving. Oh, okay. So you can email them and just ask. <laughs> That's good to know. I'm going to try Yeah, that, that has worked out. Like, I think I got samples from three, four different companies, like just 10 microliters and just to test it out. So that has been great. And I think they, there are a few companies, they also like sell in the trial size, which is like 70 bucks, not super expensive. So that has also helped a lot. Yeah. 70 bucks. Yeah. Number <laughs> 10 microliters. It just feels like <laughs> you're being robbed. <laughs> yes, absolutely. <laughs> so um, I think my last question for you would be, are there, can you suggest any interesting protocol or um, article that you have really liked pertaining to ICC? Um, you know, so there are so many protocols out there for ICC, just depending on what you're looking for and what you're doing, definitely go and look. They have them in like textbooks. Like there's such straightforward and standard protocols. Um, So there's, there's hundreds of those uh, just to go look for. Mm -hmm. Okay. Thank you so much, uh, Hallie, for uh, talking us through ICC. It was a really fun episode and thank you so much uh, for being here with us today. Well, thank you so much for having me. I've, I've loved doing this. I hope that everyone learned something and that people will go give it a try. Yes, definitely. Uh, and listeners, uh, I will catch you next week on another episode. And in meanwhile, if you have any suggestions about topics or if you would like to come here and talk about a topic on my podcast, please email me at barkha at nerdrxpodcast.com. And remember, it's good to be a nerd. Bye.